0: Luke chapter 2. How about some good news for a change? We are coming to the end of the year 2020, and it's been quite the journey, hasn't it? It has been very painful for many people. We are dealing with COVID fatigue as not only a country, but also as a world. We in America have had a great loss of jobs, a loss of businesses, as well as an all-out attack on our freedoms in many areas in our country, such as our freedom to worship, freedom of speech, freedom to bear arms. All these things are in question, and uh, it's going to be interesting what the future holds in that way. But one thing for sure, people are hurting. People are hurting. You might say, well, we're not hurting. Well, maybe because maybe you have a job. Maybe you haven't lost a loved one. I think a lot of us know somebody who's died of COVID-19 or some other way. I was thinking today we've lost more people this year who come to our church or were coming to our church. We've lost more people this year than we've ever lost before. People are hurting. And so it seems like, I know, we decided several weeks ago, we decided, you know what? We're kind of through trying to keep up with all the news or watching broadcasts and so forth. We're just going to occasionally scan the couple headlines, this and that, kind of keep track, as you know, see if there's any major, major thing going on. And I'll tell you what, it's been a lot more peaceful because all you seem to hear is bad news. You might say, well, don't you think it's our place to be concerned? I'm not saying we shouldn't be concerned about our nation and our world, but the thing we ought to be most concerned about is God's agenda Okay, this is where really everything's going, is going according to God's agenda. Now again, we wanna pray for our leaders. We want to stand up for what's right. We wanna live godly lives, okay? And we want good government and we need to be praying for our leaders as we do as a church. And I think it's important that we do that. Pray for our nation. My wife and I pray every single night for our country. This is proper, but to live in a constant oppression. It's not good. It's not healthy. So how about some good news for change? Well, I think it fits in beautifully with this time of the year. And in Luke chapter 2, as we've already read, but let's go through with a few comments. It says in Luke 2, 1, and it came to pass in those days, that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Now, this idea of our word in the King James, tax, is the idea of registered, okay? There was going to be a census, and we have a census here in America. But many times, of course, those registering of people in a census is meant for what purpose in the end? Taxes, okay? So we see that. But anyways, and this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, And all went to be taxed or registered, every one into his own city. Now, this is interesting because God used the decree of the politicians to fulfill prophecy because the Old Testament says that the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, was going to be born in Bethlehem. Well, how are you going to get Joseph down from Nazareth and go all the way down past Jerusalem, five miles further down to Bethlehem? Well, how about a census or how about a registration? And that's exactly what happened. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of his city of Nazareth into Judea and unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Now, it's interesting. You might say, well, wait a minute, I don't get this. Nazareth is north of Jerusalem and Bethlehem. And so, so how is it that he went down? No, he went up because of elevation. It's an issue of elevation, okay? It was from there going, he went up to this area. To be taxed with Mary as a spouse wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the holiday inn. I'm sorry, I added that. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. Now this was probably Gabriel, because he kind of had the job of doing the announcing. You'll find him always seem he's always there doing these announcements. Okay, and so here he was, and the angel said unto them, "Fear not." For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Now you notice it says, I bring you, in verse 10, good tidings of great joy. Good news is what it meant. Good news of great joy. And this is a word that is, has to do with our word that we have in the New Testament, the word Gospel. I am bringing you, I am giving you the message of the gospel. Basically, this is going to have to do with the gospel, the good news. Now, what makes the good news? Such good news. And that's where we're going today. Why was this such good news? And what it does is it simply points us to this message that we hold so dear in our church and is central in the word of God. Well, number one, let's look at some reasons. What makes the good news such good news? Number one, a Savior has been born. That's good news. You might say, I don't get it. What's the big deal? Why is that so important? Well, let's break it down and let's look at it, folks. First thing I think we need to do is define what is a Savior. What does that mean? A Savior is born. These just aren't words on a page. The word Savior means a deliverer. Somebody who saves or delivers a preserver. Remember that part of the definition. We'll get back to that in a little bit. One who saves from danger or destruction and brings into a state of prosperity and happiness. That's what the word savior means. Somebody who delivers from something that is terrible and brings us into something that is good and something that is wonderful. That's what the word savior means. One resource says a deliverer, a preserver, a savior, a redeemer. It has the idea of deliverer, a savior who snatches a person from some terrible disaster that leads to perishing and brings them to a point of safety. That's what a savior is. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior, which is Christ the Lord. Now, why do we need a savior? Well, hold your place here and turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Why do we need a Savior? Well, Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21 makes it clear. Here, talking about the birth of Jesus, it says, verse 21, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Interesting, the name Jesus, Jehovah, is salvation. That's what his name means. God, our Savior. By his very name, the name of Jesus defined who he was. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That is the problem. That is the the terrible danger that is in store for people. We need somebody to come and to save us from the results of our sin. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Notice that Jesus is the one, by the way, who does the saving. He shall save his people from their sin. He's the Savior, not you and me. I can't save myself from my sin, neither can you. This is a major theological truth that needs to be understood, friends, because this gets to the very heart of things. There are a lot of people who love Christmas time and even people who love the baby Jesus. And they love the hymns and the carols and all that comes with that and all the, you know, they've got their um, manger scene at home all set up and they've got all the different figures and all that. Am I against that? I'm not against that. But here's the point. Do you have the symbols or do you have the substance of this? Those things are great, especially if you understand the significance of what they represent. But don't miss the point. The point is that little baby had to come into the world because we needed a Savior. And the Savior needed to be somebody who could substitute for us so that we would not have to pay for the sins that we commit. Somebody else took it for us. So what is a Savior? A deliverer, a preserver, okay? Somebody who delivers us from danger or destruction and brings us into a state of safety and prosperity and blessing. Now the next question is, who is the Savior? Well, we've already seen it, but let me get more specific today. The Savior is God in the flesh. No one less than that. People say, well, do you need to believe that Jesus is God. Yes, you need to believe that. If you don't believe Jesus is God, you have another Jesus than the one in scripture. And there is no other Jesus than the one in scripture. You might say, "Well, wait a minute. I know this guy. He, he lives in New Mexico and he's got a, a gas station down there and his name is Jesus." Well, he may have uh, and down there I got a hunch he probably pronounces it Jesus down there. But anyways, that being the case, he's not the one. He can't save you. He needs a savior because he's a sinner. But there was a Jesus and there is a Jesus who never sinned ever. As a matter of fact, the Bible says he couldn't sin. And therefore he was a spotless lamb of God qualified, therefore, to die in our place because he had no sin of his own to pay for who is the Savior. He's God in the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's good news. That's good news. Isaiah chapter 43 in verse 11, before Jesus ever came, it said this in Isaiah 43, 11, I even, I am the Lord and besides me, there is no Savior. Now, let me just uh, kind of a sidebar here. If you're ever dealing with a Jehovah's Witness, Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe Jesus is God. By the way, neither do the Mormons. They don't believe Jesus is God. They'll say he is a God. Some say he's Michael the Archangel, but they deny the deity of Jesus Christ. You can't be saved if you deny the deity of Jesus Christ. The Bible's very clear on that. Jesus said it himself, unless you believe that I am, you shall die in your sins. He said before Abraham was, I am. He's claiming to be God himself. And he he is in fact God. But you see this if you're dealing with Jehovah's Witnesses, just remember these two passages, Isaiah 43:11, Luke 2:11. It's easy to remember. Isaiah 43:11, Luke 2:11. Isaiah 43:11, I even I am the Lord, Jehovah God. Beside me there is no savior. And then Luke 2:11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior, which is Christ the Lord. If A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. You get that? John chapter one, verse one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then in verse 14, it says, and the word in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, uniqueness in the Godhead and the word was God. So this word is God himself. And in verse 14 it says, and the word became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Hold your place here and turn with me over to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, and we'll be back to Luke in just a a few minutes here, but 1 John chapter 4. So, who is the Savior? The Savior is the Lord Jesus Christ. And why did he come? He came to be a payment. For our sin. First John chapter four and verse ten it says this herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son. That's a beautiful statement in Scripture. Few verses later it says the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. He sent his son. Jesus was already in existence before he was ever conceived. The conception had to do with his humanity, but he was still God in the flesh. He was already God. I mean, he was still God. He was already God before he ever was conceived by the Holy Spirit with Mary. It was God sending Jesus into the world. Remember, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he is also the creator. But look at this in verse 10. Hearing is his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, that's a big word, propitiation. What does it mean? It's simple. It's the payment that satisfies. It's the payment that's satisfied. God, the Father, sent the Son into the world to make the payment for our sins that would satisfy God and make it possible for God to save us. That's why we say Jesus is the Savior. We illustrate it. Most of you have seen this, but let me just uh, illustrate this. This hand representing you and me and my wallet representing our sin. He shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be what? The propitiation for our sins. God loves us, but he hates our sin. But we cannot get to heaven with our sin. Our sin separates us from God. To get to heaven, you have to be sinless in the eyes of God. All your sins have to be forgiven. They have to be gone. We're sinners. And God says if we die in this condition, we're going to have to not only die physically, but be separated from God for all eternity. Death means separation, by the way. It's what it means. There is the first, the physical death, And then an unbeliever will experience the second death the Bible talks about. Eternal separation from God for all eternity. God doesn't want that for us. Now, religion says do good works and that'll take away your sin. Good works will not pay for sin. The Bible makes it very clear on that. So then what are we going to do? What do we need? We're We're in danger. We're on our way to an eternity separated from God. We can't do anything of ourselves to do this because you've got to be completely righteous and none of us are. So who can help me? For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior, which is Christ the Lord. He's the one. This hand representing the Lord Jesus Christ. He came into the world, the sinless son of God. And when he went to the cross, friend, he took our sin upon himself. He died for your sins and mine, all of them, the whole sin of a whole lifetime. He took it and he made the payment, leaving us nothing left to pay for. He died and he rose again three days later. And he says, if you will believe or trust in him, he will save you from your sins. He'll give you eternal life. The payment he made is good on your behalf when you trust in him as your savior. This is why he came. This is why he came. He came to be the propitiation for Our sins. And so, as a result of that, what makes the good news such good news? Well, as we've seen, number one, a Savior has been born. But secondly, God is offering us now, catch this this is Christmas time, everybody's shopping. God is offering us the gift of eternal life. Did you get that? The gift of eternal life. That's good news. Look with me to Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. Look at how clear the language is. You know, one of the things, and I know I've said this before, but it continues to amaze me and marvel. I marvel at the simplicity of the statements of Scripture. And yet what is behind those statements is deeper than any man can ever understand. Look at how simple Romans 6.23 is. It says, for the wages of sin, look up here, for the wages of sin is death, But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, Jesus offers us everlasting life in heaven as a gift. Now, I know there are people who hear that and they say, I can't accept that. What are you saying? Are you saying that, that I don't have to do good works to go to heaven? Yes, that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying we shouldn't do good works. I'm saying that your good works will not get you to heaven. That if you want to go to heaven, you must receive it as a gift. If you believe you have to do good works to go to heaven, here's what you're saying. I will do good works and that'll take care of my sin. No, God says death is the only payment. Well, I think Jesus is important, but I don't think he's enough. Well, that's not what he says. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He didn't say me and you. Me. Exclusive. Exclusive. The angel didn't say, unto you is born. I've got good news of great joy for you. He didn't say, for unto you is born this day somebody to help you out and get you to heaven. If you cooperate and you live a faithful life, and you know, between Jesus and you you might be able to pull this off and make it to heaven. It's not what he said. For unto you is born this day in the city, not a helper, a savior. Here's the point: Jesus didn't come to be a helper, came to be a savior. Oh, he'll help us after we're saved, but he came to be a savior. And it isn't this way, I do my part, he does his. No, he came to do what I could not do. Look at this over here. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Here's the truth of it. I know people here and they say, well, that's that cheap grace, that easy believism, that greasy grace stuff, that, that antinom, all these accusations, friend, question. Did Jesus pay for our sins or didn't he? He did. I'm going to heaven because I don't have any sins of my own to pay for because I accepted the payment Jesus made for mine. You either accept his payment or you're going to have to do it yourself. What's it going to be? One or the other. There's no mix. There's no hybrid. That's the dangerous message that's being propagated today. Well, you need to believe in Jesus, but you all need to be faithful to the end of your life. That's not a gift. That's work. That's a contract. It's a bilateral contract. Salvation's not a bilateral contract. It's a gift. It says so right here. Who says? God does. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life. It's a gift. Gift, gift, gift. Now, it's interesting because in the Greek, the word gift means gift. (laughs) And we get that gift of God, which is eternal life. And how do we get it? It's through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's good news. It's the best news. Stop and think about gifts for a moment, okay? Several things about them. Number one, gifts are bought by the giver, not by the receiver. Now, I know there are some people today who buy themselves Christmas gifts. I've heard of that. Gifts are, generally speaking, gifts are bought by the giver and not the receiver. As a result, number two, gifts are free. Why? Because it's a gift. Gifts bring no conditions with them except to receive them. Is that not true? And gifts are never taken back by the giver, okay? By the giver. Gifts are never taken back by the giver. Now, this is important to understand. The Bible says salvation, it's the gift of... Gift of God, Romans six twenty three. the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. You mean to say that salvation is a free gift? By the way, it's that's the only way a gift is, it's free. You mean to say that it's just simply a gift that God will give it to me? If I'll trust in Jesus Christ as my payment for sin, God will give me eternal life in heaven as a free gift. Is that what you're saying? That's exactly the message of the Bible, friend. God loves us that much. Does he want his children to live godly lives? Yes. Yes, he does. But that doesn't get you to heaven. If you have to live a godly life to get to heaven, then salvation is not a gift. Salvation is a deal. It's an agreement. It's a contract. And that is not biblical salvation, okay? Lots of people are saying today, well, it's you have to f- believe in Christ, and then you also have to live a faithful life. Then salvation's not a gift. That's not a gift. I'd say, well, it's a gift because he, he gives it to you and gives you the opportunity to work for it. That's not a gift. Salvation is a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. You parents, you probably buying gifts this year for your children getting something for them, you go out, you do the work, you're working to provide the gift, and you buy it and you pay for it, and Christmas comes and you give that gift to your child. What does that child have to do to receive that gift? Nothing but receive it. You don't give it to them and say, now this gift comes with some qualifiers. You can have it, but if you don't behave yourself, I'm taking it away. That's not a gift. It's not a gift. It's a twisted idea. No, gifts are simply this. I love you enough. I paid for this. I did all the work, and I'm offering it to you freely, and you can have it. I want you to have it. Will you please take it? That's a gift. Well, what do I have to do? Nothing. Just take it. I love you that much. I want you to have it because I love you. I did the work. might say, I don't know if I can accept that. See, that's the problem, folks. We are judging God by man. God loves us that much. He sent his son to be a sacrifice. He sacrificed his son to make the payment for our sin because there's no other way. And God offers us eternal life as a gift. Will you receive it? Which leads us to our third point today. Everlasting life is everlasting. That's good news. If you can lose your salvation, then it's not good news. Again, we're back to the issue of you having to do something to either receive the gift or keep the gift. God says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When you trust in Christ, he gives you everlasting life. By the way, do you remember at the beginning of this message when we defined what a Savior was? And one of the definitions, and by the way, I don't care what lexicon you look in, Lexicon's a fancy name for dictionary. Preserver is part of the definition. What does that do? What it does is it points to the fact of our eternal security in Christ. God not only saves me, he keeps me saved. Why? I have everlasting life. He will not lose me he will not cast me out. This is eternal security, and that's good news. I told you we've got good news today for a change. See, you've got some, they call it Christianity, but really it is not Christianity. You've got these two false sides. One of them's called Arminianism, and then the other one's called Calvinism. Now, I hear people say, uh, people who don't know Scripture, they'll say things like, oh, but they do, they think they know Scripture. Well, which one are you? Are you Arminian or Calvinism? This makes their brain fry when I say, I'm neither. Oh, you got to be one or the other. I'm neither. What do you mean you're neither? Let me tell you a little bit about Arminianism and Calvinism. Arminianism is this, basically. You trust Christ as Savior, but if you don't live a faithful life... To a certain extent, which, by the way, no one can ever give you the line of where that happens. If you don't live a faithful life, you lose your salvation. You lose it. If you walk away from God, you lose your salvation. By the way, that is the official position of the assemblies of God, by the way. I'm not making that up, and I'm not trying to tear down other people. I'm just saying, go on their website, the denomination's website, and look it up. Now, most will say, well, but I'll never walk away. Yeah, but there's a problem. There's a a record of a bunch of people in Scripture who did. It never says they lost their salvation. They were still saved, but they walked away. Here's the point. Arminianism is false. Why? Because here's what Arminianism says. You're saved by grace, but you're kept by works. So which one is it? Are you saved by grace or works? The Bible says, and if by grace, then is it no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. And if it be of works, then is it no longer of grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. Romans eleven 6. I'd say, would you say that again? No. Look it up in your Bible some other time. Here's the point. Here's the point. You're not saved by grace and Works. You're saved by grace. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, He gives you everlasting life. If you can lose that everlasting life, then it wasn't everlasting, it was temporary. Why can't we just accept what the Bible says? Oh no, you've got to behave yourself. Then you're putting your faith in your works, not in the finished work of Christ on the cross. You might say, well, I'm not one of them. I'm a Calvinist. (laughs) Okay, here's what you believe, in case you didn't know. You're saying you're saved by grace through faith in Christ, but you can't know you're saved until you die being faithful. If you die in a backslidden condition, it proves you were never saved to begin with, therefore you weren't a Christian. Do you see the relationship between Arminianism and Calvinism? Both of them say, you can't really honestly know you're saved forever. You can't know that. Why? Because Arminianists say, okay, put your faith in Christ, but if you're not faithful, you'll lose your salvation. Calvinists say, put your faith in Christ, but if you ever stop being faithful, it proves you never had it. False. The Bible says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. When? Now. You can know you have eternal life now. The assurance of salvation is all the way through Scripture. This is so important, folks. And this is the good news. We can know it now. We can rejoice. I have the gift of eternal life. I'm going to heaven when I die. And it's all based on God loving me so much, letting his son come into the world to die for the sins that I could never be good enough to pay for. Jesus did it. He lived a perfect life and he made the payment And I know I'm going to heaven. Why? Because all my sins are gone. There's nothing to send me to hell. Therefore, I know I'm going to heaven. Say, well, that will lead you to living a wicked, evil life. You know what? I'm not quite sure what that means because that sure isn't my desire. I love the Lord for what he's done for me and I want to live a life that's pleasing to him. Not because I have to. Not because if I don't, I'll lose it. Not to prove I'm saved. It's simply out of love and gratitude for the grace of God that saved me. This is what it's about. By the way, none of us who are saved live perfect lives. I know that. We still sin, and some a lot more than others. But if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, you received everlasting life, and it's everlasting, and you can never lose it. Grace is unmerited favor, undeserved kindness. Boy, I'll tell you what, I love this good news. I love it. Look with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Now, here's a verse we usually don't think in terms of in showing the uh, eternal security that we have in Christ, but nevertheless, it fits. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10. 2 Timothy 1.10, it says, But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath done what? Abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light. Through what? Through this message of good news. What is this message? That God himself took on flesh. Has, Jesus died for our sins, was buried, rose from the grave the third day. And if you trust in Him that He did that for you, He'll give you everlasting life. It's good news, friend. It's good news. You know it's amazing? People who believe you have to be good to go to heaven, you can't hardly get them in the church, a lot of them. They hate it, you know? Churches start Saturday night services. Why? Because people are too hungover Sunday morning. So they figure they'll get them, get them to church, at least get them there. On Saturday night. And so they get them there on Saturday night, and a lot of, not all of them, but a lot of those people, what do they do? They go home and they get smashed. But it's okay because you're in church Saturday night. No, it's not okay. Sin is sin. It's always sin. Here's what you need, friend you need a payment for your sin. Well, if I believe like you do, why would I ever want to go to church? I just accept the gift of eternal life, like you call it. Why would I ever want to go to church? I'll tell you why, friend. Tell you why, by the way, we have people who come three times a week to our church and they don't have to, but they come because they love the Lord and they're grateful for that gift of eternal life. See, that's what grace teaches. Grace does not teach wicked living. Grace teaches godly living, but it's based on the gift of eternal life that God has given us. He's brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Another reason why it's good news, number four, once you put your faith in Jesus Christ, He will never leave you nor forsake you, he said. He's with us no matter what. That's good news. This means He will be with you at all times to help, to strengthen, to comfort, to provide. This is our Savior. Matthew chapter 28, verse 20 Right before Jesus went back to heaven, he says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. He says, I'm going to be with you always. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm there for you. Even if you don't have a lot of worldly friends, people of the world as friends, human beings, okay? And that's a valuable thing, and I'm not trying to make light of that friend. What I am saying, though, is this. There is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother, and his name is Jesus. And he says, I'm with you all the way. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And last, this issue of what makes the good news such good news This offer, going back to Luke chapter 2. Go there, by the way. Luke chapter 2, and then we'll talk about the point. Our fifth reason why the good news is such good news is this offer is for everyone. I love this. Regardless of color, income, education, occupation, or personal failures. Man, you might say, where do you get that? It's easy. Look at it, Luke 2.10. The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. I bring you this good news, which shall be to, who? All people. Do you know what that means? That means it's offered to everyone. God does not choose some to heaven and some to hell. He's no respecter of persons. When Jesus died on the cross, he made the propitiation for the sins of all mankind, the Bible tells us. If Jesus made a payment for the sins of everybody, then everybody can be saved if they want to. Otherwise, why would he pay for everyone's sins? This is what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. He's a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. I love that. The sins of the whole world. Do you know what that means, friends? That the sins of the whole world have been paid for already might say, well, then why doesn't everybody go to heaven? Because you have to accept the payment he made. Remember, eternal life is a gift. You have to receive the gift. If I bought you a gift for Christmas and I said, here, I'm giving you this gift because I love you. I want you to have it. Here it is. You can have it. Go ahead and take it. And you said, no, there's got to be strings attached to this. No, I reject the gift. Well, if you don't receive the gift, you don't get it. You have to receive it eternal life in heaven's that way, though. When you trust in Christ, you're receiving the gift of eternal life. If you don't trust in Christ alone as your Savior, you're rejecting the gift. You're saying, no, I'll do it myself. No, I'll work for it myself. No, I'll earn it. Well, you can't earn it. Good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. I love that. See, here's the beauty of this message. I can go up to any person. I can tell them, you know what? God loves you He's paid for all your sins, and he's offering you eternal life as a free gift. If you'll trust in his son as your savior, this is good news, the gospel. This is good news. You can have it. Well, how do I know if I'm one of the elect? Don't worry about it. If you believe you're one of the elect. See, there's two groups of people in the world. There's the whosoever wills and the whosoever won'ts. There's the saints and the ain'ts. You can be a saint. You can be a child of God. You can have eternal life. You can have all your sins forgiven if today you'll accept trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. One last verse in closing, and you know it, and you might have already gotten a Christmas card with this on there. And why not? Is there anything better to put on a Christmas card than John 3.16? I don't think so. That's the entire Christmas story in one verse. For God so loved the world... That he gave his only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in him. Now, the context of giving his Son was that he would come and make a payment for sin, John chapter 3. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, that would be go to hell, but have what kind of life again? Everlasting life. And that is based on what? That you would believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. How about some good news for a change? I just gave it to you. Isn't this great? Listen, we don't know what's coming up here this year on this planet, this year coming, 2021. You might say, oh, it couldn't be worse than 2020. I can tell you this. What better thing could you have than a home reserved for you in heaven? And God is offering that to you as a gift today. Would you trust in Christ as your Savior? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.